In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello, welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and this series is in cooperation with Ascinda Virtual, which brings you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. So you can learn more about Cinda on www.cinda.org. Now, we don't only bring you thought leaders from around the world, but we also have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to the show, let me tell you what this show is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what's in, what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transitions, and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance and business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. Now, now, please listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. specific time. And if you miss us live, don't worry about it because we are all over the net on every major podcast platform from Apple to Google to Stitcher to Spotify. You can find us just by Googling Leadership Beyond Borders. And I also invite you to connect with me. Send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or connect with me on my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. And let me know what kind of subjects you want to hear about on this show. So if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we'll make sure you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. Now, on to today's episode. You know, there is a connection between business and culture in which way the extended in-depth understanding of other cultures can improve individual or economic success for both individuals and companies. But achieving success in cross-cultural environments depends a lot on paying attention to what is around you and discovering the differences and similarities. Now, the ability to negotiate in a global cross-cultural business environment is one of the factors influencing economic success. In today's global economy, we work with diverse teams Teams within diverse environments and being able to flourish in an environment may not be the same as flourishing in our own environment. Our guest today helps individuals and companies better understand their culture and the culture of others, and he helps them forge success when transitioning into different environments. Dr. Rajesh Kumar is a consultant and retired academic specializing in global business. He has an undergraduate degree and a master's degree in economics from the University of Delhi, an MBA from Rutgers University, and a PhD in international business from the Stern School of business at New York University. Now, originally from India, Dr. Kumar has lived and worked in the U.S., France, Finland, Netherlands, New Zealand, Denmark, and the United Kingdom. He has taught at Penn State, Ohio State, Babson, and many other colleges across the world. 
And he specializes in the art of doing business across cultural boundaries. And he has led training programs for global companies in doing business in India, negotiating cross-culturally, managing strategic partnerships. He is also a strategic advisor and is a principal offering training programs to companies seeking to enhance their global presence. So, Dr. Kumar, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you for inviting me. So I'd like to take a step back in time, okay, Um, maybe like 30 years. uh, And I was thinking, um, you know, I'm from Europe in the U.S., and then I moved back overseas um, for a U.S. company. And at the time I moved back to Europe, uh, the statistics were about only 60% of expatriates um, made it. When, you know, people, especially looking at America's moving into different cultures. Uh, And then I just looked up the new statistics. I thought things would be a little bit different today, but they haven't really moved. Why is it so difficult for people to move into other environments? Well, you know, culture is an invisible force. It is also very powerful at the same time. And, you know, when people go overseas to another culture or to another environment, you know, they're often not adequately prepared for it. And uh, and I think they realized that uh, what they were doing is not working. And, uh, and unfortunately, I think many of them, uh, you know, just decide to uh, quit early. And so you're right about expatriate assignments. I think the fa- failure rate currently is around 40%. Mm-hmm. which means one out of four actually uh, do not do well or return prematurely. And I think part of it is individual lack of preparation, but part of it is also the companies. Uh, and I don't think they invest sufficiently in developing their cultural capability. Mm-hmm. And and that's an important question um, because I'm going to come to the individual in a minute. But on the companies, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like they they choose people correctly, nor do they do training. I mean, your experience with companies who are sending people overseas, what do you see? Well, so, yes, certainly. And uh, I don't think they invest sufficiently. I think in most cases, uh, the issue of culture comes up when there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And then they might call in consultants or, or other advisors to help them. But as a planned strategy, that is, I think, uh, not generally the case here. And, uh, and I think, uh, and this is what a lot of cross-cultural consultants have also told me. And uh, it is something that uh, you have to constantly um, uh, you know, constantly sell something which is uh, whose importance is so so evident and so clear, mm-hmm. and, and yet it doesn't happen. But the uh, all that I would say is that culture is, uh, you know, we are so deeply ingrained in our own culture, we really find it difficult to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And that would be the simple explanation. Yeah. So, so I mean, there's those companies not preparing people, but then um, is there any kind of 
uh, innate, you know, uh, personality trait that maybe um, when companies are choosing people to to work in international cross-cultural environments that, you know, some people come more naturally to it. Um, is, you know, does it have to do with personality at all or ability, resistance to change? Okay, uh, certainly. I mean, I would say that... Uh, I think one of the most important things in doing business across cultures is the ability and the capacity to develop relationships. Mm-hmm. And and so which means that relational, relational competence becomes very, very important. So individuals who have that capability of developing relationships and maintaining them, and above all, enjoy doing that, I think they're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. I think that needs to be combined with uh, with some kind of patience and also resiliency. Because, you know, as you cross cultures, you're inevitably going to face uh, problems, obstacles, and you need to actually um, recognize that failure is an inevitable part of this journey. But on the other hand, this can also provide an avenue for learning. Mm-hmm. There are many, many skills, but I would say one of the most important thing is do you enjoy being with other people, mm-hmm. and people who are different from you, and do you enjoy or do you have the capacity to both develop and maintain relationships? Mm-hmm. In And when you're talking about people with relationships, in one of the articles that you wrote, I read that... Um, when people are, are experiencing this change of environment into a different yeah. culture, that sometimes they they have a threat of identity, okay? Sure. Um, and could you explain what, what that is? So what that means is, so let's say, for example, an American, uh, say, goes to Japan, uh, very, very different cultures. America is individualistic. Japan is collectivistic. So then, you know, to really adapt and to function in that environment, you really have to understand the cultural norms and to really reorient your way of doing things. And that means that you may have to change what you were, you know, what your essential self was, at least in some level. And and so there can be people who can manage, you know, multiple identities. But at times, I think people will struggle, and especially if this has been their first cross-cultural experience, they might struggle in terms of trying to become something that they don't naturally feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and that is the tension that arises. Mm-hmm. Okay. And can, uh, can, are there things that they can do to help themselves become more comfortable? I mean, can... Can this adaptability, is what I'm calling it, um, be learned? Uh, It can, but it requires time and effort, and it requires focus, and it requires a lot of patience. Uh, So adaptability has many, many different dimensions. So I think if you're going to a given culture and going to be staying there for many, many years, then I think learning the language or at least making an attempt to learn that would be an important step. So would I think really understanding where the other party is coming from. And I think what I find is that very often uh, 
people say they are listening, but they are not actually listening. And I think unless you don't really listen to where the other partner or party is coming from, I think it's going to be very difficult to move forward and to develop something that is uh, that is going to be mutually beneficial. So it can be done, but I think it requires um, it requires effort, it requires patience, and it requires uh, self determination uh, to uh, to go through all of these particular travails. Mm-hmm. And I will not say it's an easy process, but you know I think it can be done. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that, and I'm, I'm looking at different cultures, do you think it's it's easier for for some people to do it? And if I if I take an example, Europe, okay, um, you know, I live in, in Czech Republic. It's a very small right. country. Uh, in two minutes, uh, you know, 10, you know, uh, one hour, 10 minutes, I'm in Austria, okay, um, another, you know, hour, I'm in Germany. So, so you know, maybe the proximity of where the people live, the access to different cultures makes it easier for some people to adapt. Whereas if you're coming from Kansas City in the United States and moving to Denmark, it might be harder. I know that's correct. That's absolutely right. Also, I think historically in Europe, the countries are just so geographically contagious and also... uh, it is the case that you know there's been a lot of inter- interdependence in Europe. So, uh, so, so, especially with the European Union and all of that. So, yes, I mean, I think uh, that is definitely the case. But for Europeans going, say, I think to India, China, or Japan, it is still a challenge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'll just give you one example if you'd like to hear that. Sure, sure. Yes, please. So, you know, there was a German company that had a relationship with an Indian company. So the Indian company was a distributor and they were going to be selling their products. And so they entered into a contract, into an agreement. But apparently, although they signed something on paper, they really had a very different understanding of what that contract actually meant. And essentially what happened was that uh, the Indian distributor didn't want to sell the products that the German wanted them to sell, but they did not communicate that to them. Mm-hmm. And then the whole relationship broke down. broke down. Once the Indian was visiting Germany, the Indian uh, CEO of this company, and he felt offended because uh, he was not treated or from his standpoint was not given due respect by the Germans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. A complete breakdown of communication. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I can imagine. Then you have, then you kind of have, uh, we'll talk a little bit later about, you know, the, the Western, Eastern uh, cultural difference. So I, I understand that could be very difficult, but we're going to take, we're going to take a short break. Sure. And um, when we come back, I want to talk to you about, you know, business skills. Okay. And, and negotiations in, yeah. in different cultural situations. Yeah. So for our listeners, we are talking to Dr. Rajesh Kumar, and he is a consultant and retired business academic specializing in global business. He is originally from India, but has lived 
lived and worked all over the world in several countries and has taught, for example, at Penn State, a University of Nottingham in the UK, University of Ajos in Denmark, and he specializes in the art of doing business across cultural boundaries. And he helps companies and individuals deal with transitions in different cultural backgrounds. Now, you can find Dr. Kumar on LinkedIn under Rajesh Kumar, and then you can go to his website to learn more under globalstrategyadvisory.com and also on Facebook under Global Strategic Advisory. And so please look him up and go to his website. Now, this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda. Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. Cinda holds virtual trainings, conferences, market research, does legislative white papers focused on digital. And they have conferences. Um, and their next conference is going to be in October in Florence. And if you would like to learn more about Cinda, please go to www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking about culture and adaptability in culture. And we are talking with Dr. Rajesh Kumar, and he's a consultant and retired business academic specializing in global business. Um, Dr. Kumar is originally from India, but he's lived and worked all over the world in several countries. And he's taught at several universities, including Penn State, um, the University of Ajos in Denmark and the University of Nottingham in UK, and he specializes in the art of doing business across cultural boundaries. So, um, Dr. Kumar, we, we talked we talked about, you know, kind of the general about people and companies yeah. and expatriates, um, and I'd like to take that a step further because, you know, we really are in a global economy today. And you, you gave the example of the German company and the uh, Indian company. Yeah. Um, and there's just many of us, we have to do negotiations, okay? Yeah. And negotiations are very difficult um, in, in cross-cultural environments. So yeah. what, are, what are some of the skills that somebody probably needs? Let's start with the skill set to, to be able to, to even start to think about negotiating cross-culturally. Cross 
All right. So I think I would say the uh, first important skill, you know, uh, certainly in many cultures, uh, is is the ability to again initiate and sustain relationships. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not as simple as it sounds, but it is essential because, as you will appreciate, building relationships takes time. So, if you are in uh, in Asia or in Latin America, it requires a lot of face to face meetings. It necessitates getting to know the other person. And uh, and so it is a time and a painstaking process, but it is something that is critical. Now, you may ask, why is it that relationship is so important in some cultures and not in, uh, you know, North American or European cultures? And I think there are two answers for it. First, I think in many cultures, when people enter into a business deal or think of doing so, they have a longer term orientation in mind. So it's not just this one time contract. So they are looking, they're assessing you whether you're going to make a good business partner over the long term. So if the temporal orientation is important, excuse me, then clearly I think relationships become very, very important. Mm -hmm. I think the other reason is that in many cultures, are generally risk averse. And I think even some European cultures are more risk averse than America. And uh, and so what this means is that if you're risk averse, then you will not, then you will want to get to know the other party much more than, uh, you know, than might be the case otherwise, because you're not going to rely on the contract. And all, you know, and uh, although there will be a contract at the end, in many cultures, it is the personal word of bonding, which is so, so critical. And so just yesterday, I was leading a webinar and there was a woman from Argentina and she said, you know, when American companies send people there, then, you know, in a short period of time, a new person comes in. And the Argentinians have a difficulty with it because for them, business is so personal. And so even if it is the same company, but a new person, they have to begin the process all over again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and, go ahead. No, and so just I'm thinking about what you're saying. And and also it, it's, you know, if you're going in to a different culture, you know, it's about learning the definition of relationship also because it because basically what you're saying is you know if, if you know the way a german might look at a relationship is different than and than an american yeah. or um yeah okay continue i'm sorry i was just no, thinking no, no, that, about, that, that's a good point and i think as you mentioned that then that actually also link, links to issues of trust mm-hmm and so there's actually difference in terms of conception of trust across cultures. So typically in you know North American European cultures, trust is associated with predictability or dependability. You know, I promise that I will deliver this to you by tomorrow, and you know the expectation is that you will do so unless there is some uh, external contingency. And if you do that consistently, then you actually build that kind of trust. Mm-hmm. Now, this is certainly important in other cultures, but I think 
because the personal element of the relationship is so important. So it is not just the cognitive aspect which is important, but also the emotional commitment and the affective commitment to the relationship. Mm-hmm. So which is why the personal element becomes so, so important. So when a Japanese looks at a relationship or or people in, uh, in China look at a relationship, for example, they are looking at uh, not just your ability to deliver, but whether you have that sense of act affective commitment to the individuals and to the company's concerned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good point. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it sounds, you know, we can talk about it, but when you start to actually do this, there's, there's a lot of moving parts here, okay? Um, and, and, and another thing that you talk about in some of your articles, and I'd like to go this, when we talk about actually doing business deals and going to negotiations, you talk yeah. a lot about assumptions, Okay. Correct. Okay. Correct. Could, could you talk what do you, and, and recalibrating our assumptions? Could you right. talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, different cultures look at uh, as uh, look at negotiations differently, and so you know, from an American standpoint, North American standpoint, negotiation is about getting the best possible deal. It it is about signing a contract, and it is about doing it in a time efficient way. You go to Asia, many of these assumptions may not necessarily hold. Of course, everyone wants a good deal. Everyone wants a a partnership. But for them, negotiation is more about relationship building than it is about signing a contract. Mm -hmm. And the idea there is that that, uh, if you have a good relationship, then contracts may not matter. Aha. Okay, that's interesting. Um, That's one example, and I think there's so many other uh, assumptions that I think one can think about as well. Mm -hmm. And and when you're talking about negotiations also, um, it probably shouldn't pop into my mind, but it does for some reason, um, conflict. Okay, and 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 how different cultures deal with conflict. And I'll just give you, you know, I'll give you a quick example. Um, Since we're having a little chat here, you know, I lived in um, Israel for a couple of years and, um, you know, just sitting down at the negotiation table, there's a lot of conflict, but it doesn't mean anything. Okay, you know, I mean, you know, it's just quite normal. And it was shocking to me at first, you know. I was like, like, oh my God, these people are, you know, it's going to come to a conclusion. And then at the end of the day, it, the air clears and everybody walks out and everybody's happy, you know. <laughs> right, right. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so conflict, how do you deal with that? I mean, how do you put, you know, uh, it, because it, to me, it kind of is it's at the core of negotiations also. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a couple of, uh, just a couple of observations there. First, just a general point about conflict. It is very easy to escalate a conflict and very hard to de-escalate it. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very careful in terms of what you do, uh, because uh, you know once the conflict escalates, then I think uh, parties find it very hard to move from their positions. Mm-hmm. Question is, who is going to make the first concession? 
Mm -hmm. It gets into issue of face and face saving. Yes. And I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Renault and Nissan. No. Carlos Ghosn, he was the uh, uh, very well, uh, you know, a great, a great executive for this alliance between Renault and Nissan, which was founded in the late 90s. And so he did a remarkable job because at that time Nissan was in, uh, was in great trouble and Renault actually bailed it out. And then over a period of time, you know, the French government, which had a stake in Renault, wanted to initiate a merger between Renault, Nissan, and Mitsubishi. And, the, um, and Nissan was not going to have it. Mm-hmm. And that was the subtext of the underlying conflict that emerged. And, uh, and Carlos Ghosn, well, he did some, some things that were not appropriate by Japanese standards. And well, you know, and he was, uh, uh, and he's now a fugitive in Lebanon. So, so he did some malfeasance, but I think the underlying subtext was this. And the parties couldn't really resolve this, and which led to the worsening of the relationship between them. Uh, okay. yeah. Another example, Volkswagen and Suzuki, German and Japanese company. Mm-hmm. And again, the conflict became very bad because, you know, I think parties became very personal and they made very negative comments, especially mm-hmm. the Germans. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, it, 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 very good examples because I, when I think of negotiation, I think of, you know, hopefully there isn't a conflict. Hope we can all, you know, uh, politely get to to the end of the deal. But um, sometimes that doesn't happen. And one one more question on on staying with nego- negotiations for yes. a moment before we take the break. Time. Okay. Um, now I've also lived in in quite a you know quite a few countries and um, and the you know the attitude towards time when it comes to negotiations is also something that Correct. that is very critical. Could you talk about that for a minute? Absolutely. So in certain cultures, you know, uh, especially in Asia, people have a much more elastic view of time. You know, so. Uh, they're not motivated to actually uh, uh, to finish it in a short period of time. But, you know, the thing I would say is because in those cultures, people are so interested in building a relationship mm-hmm. and relationship building takes time. Right. So. Uh, so, you know, you have to reach or arrive at a certain level of trust before you move forward. Uh, so that's one thing. And, uh, and so again, what I would say is to bridge this difference about time, you, first of all, you've got to have a relationship with the other party and then you can deal with this issue. So I'll give you another example. There's a Danish company that was in India that was, uh, that had uh, gone there to negotiate a joint venture contract. And at the very first meeting, their Indian partner arrived two hours late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, of course, you know, uh, uh, which was not appreciated by them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, I, 
<laughs> so then they have to have a frank discussion and see how they're going to move forward. Yeah. Yes. So that that I, I that 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 I've seen that happen too. <laughs> okay. So, uh, <laughs> oh my god. No, I had I had a I had I had a negotiation once um with an African company that was four and a half hours late. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so <laughs> with the German company and African company. Anyways, um, Rajesh, we have to take a break again. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, um, and when we come back, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about emotional openness. And then I want to talk about teams because, you know, we're, we're in such cross-cultural teams yeah. today. How you deal yeah. with that. Yeah. So, okay. okay. So for our listeners, we are talking to Dr. Rajesh Kumar. And he's a consultant and retired business academic specializing in global business. Uh, he's originally from India and has worked all over the world. And he's taught at Penn State, University of Nottingham in the UK, University of Ajo in Denmark, and he specializes in the art of doing business across cultural boundaries, and that's what we're talking about today. Now, you can find uh, Dr. Kumar on LinkedIn under Rajesh Kumar, and uh, he has, has a website, which is globalstrategicadvisory.com, so you can go to the website, and you can also find his company on Facebook under Global Strategic Advisory, so please reach out to him, and this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda, and Cinda is one of Europe's fastest-growing nonprofit digital and marketing local search associations. They hold trainings, virtual conferences, and conferences, and they actually have live conferences, and the next conference is going to be in October in Florence. Italy, so you can learn more about that under www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking about doing business across different cultures. And we're talking with Dr. Rajesh Kumar, and he's a retired business academic specializing in global business. He's originally from India, and he's lived all over the world and and taught at many universities all over the world. And um, 
Dr. Kumar, you have a, a, such a vast amount of experience, and um, you know some of the stories are, are just you know making me sit here thinking, ah, oh, I've been there before, or I've seen that. But I, I want to come back to some of your articles because I've read some yeah. of the articles on your website, and one of the things you talk about is using emotions to build alliances and you know um, emotional openness. W- what is that, and why is that so important? Right. So, I mean, you know, emotions are uh, critical in the sense that they can either make or break a relationship. Now, in some of the examples that I gave you, whether it's the German-Indian relationship or in the Renault-Nissan relationship or Volkswagen-Suzuki, you know, the various actors in, in all of these instances develop very strong negative perceptions about the other and negative feelings. And, uh, and, and I think that is something that we need to avoid, uh, and especially in a cross-cultural setting. Uh, it is very easy to make judgments, and uh, we often make judgments without having the full information. And that can actually trigger negative emotions such as frustration, tension, or anger. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk about leveraging emotions, what I meant is to channel it in a positive way. So, yes, negative emotions are problematical, but they're also indicative of a problem. And the question is, can you reframe your particular concerns in a way that a meaningful dialogue is possible, uh, you know, even when you feel Uh, strongly about a given situation. So emotions are there, you know, we cannot avoid them, we cannot escape them, and nor should we seek to deny them because they are clearly indicative of a problem or problems concern. Mm -hmm. But we do have the choice in terms of how we deal with them. Mm -hmm. So the other side to it also is that, you know, you talked about emotional openness, Uh, By emotional openness, I meant just an openness to really understanding and feeling where the other person from the other culture is coming from, to show a certain degree of receptivity, to be willing to accept diversity and to understand the particular viewpoint. And I think you need emotional openness for it because if you're emotionally closed, uh, you will find it very difficult to actually accept a different point of view. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, I would say that is critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and concerning the judgments, it kind of goes back to assumptions, as you were saying before. Um, yes. yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a Christ, a circle there. Um, yeah. And, um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're we're talking about this kind of on the individual and company basis. And I'd I'd like to talk about teams because we all we all know that diverse teams perform more better um, because you have more ideas coming in from different degrees. But we also know they're also difficult to work in or difficult to manage. So how. how can somebody or you know an individual contribute the most to a diverse team or a manager um, get the most out of you know a, a diverse team? All right, so you know, as you're probably aware, there's a lot of discussion about creating an inclusive environment these days. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, and so I think what you need to do is, you know, say if you have a person from Japan, India, Europe, and the U.S. in a particular team, so they're very different cultural backgrounds. Uh, they have very different ways of interacting and communicating. You know, so the Japanese would not normally speak up, uh, would be hesitant. Uh, the Americans would try to dominate the things. And depending on where the person is from Europe, uh, their position might be different. So you have different styles here of communicating. Mm -hmm. You have different, uh, uh, different ways of looking at things. So you need to create an inclusive environment. And by, what do I mean by that? I think number one, to create that, you need to respect each other. Mm -hmm. Because without respect, I think, you know, there needs to be a sense of equality. And if that equality, for example, gets shattered in that particular team, then I think it's going to get very, very difficult for people to really contribute. Mm -hmm. So you need to create that sense of respect. You need to listen to the various uh, uh, participants on the team. And you need to create an environment where there is a certain amount, where there is trust, so that even people who are not so, who are more reticent, who are slow in speaking up, are really willing to be able to make their viewpoints heard. Because in a diverse team, you need everyone to contribute. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, yes. You, and you need to be integrate different ideas. But if the team is dominated by a few people, which often happens, and they don't encourage other members to contribute or do not create an environment in which others feel comfortable in doing so, then I think you're going to have a one-sided uh, mm -hmm. one-sided team and may, may not perform to its potential. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and that that's really too bad because because when diverse teams can be very very high performing teams. Um, but you're you're right on the inclusive environment. Very very good point. And let me let me add another layer to that to make things yeah. more comfortable, uh, more a little complicated. Okay, so yeah. now we're kind of we're working in t diverse teams, but we're also working virtually. I mean, how difficult is it today to to get that cultural sensitivity in the virtual environment? It is difficult unless you already have known the person before. Mm -hmm. then, then I think it's easier. So in fact, just yesterday, uh, the gentleman who's uh, working with, with virtual teams on Zoom, and he told me it's difficult, you know, mm -hmm. because in certain cultures, the uh, face-to-face -face interaction and personal bonding is so critical. So, but, you know, I mean, I think uh, at, at this point, I think there was no option. And so I think people are trying to do the best that they can. And, uh, and, uh, and I think within the Zoom environment, it is probably going to take much more longer to actually build trust and it will require more sensitivity to, uh, to cope with some of the unique challenges that such a team actually uh, poses. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and it, it is hard, um, very hard. I mean, we're, we're we kind of you know been living in this new environment for a couple of years, which brings me to to um, kind of a, a hot question here. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. Okay, we've been two years in the pandemic. Um, the the war in you in Ukraine sure. just started. Sure. We have um, you know in the United States, there's Black Lives Matter. Right. Um, there's there there's been political. Um, controversy, you know, um, especially in the U.S. I mean, a little bit in France, as you can see, kind of the new elections, are, you, know, they, they, um, you know, with all this stuff going on, do, do you think that that this is hurting us a little bit culturally, um, you know, making it more difficult to really have this cultural inclusivity or the, the these making these bridges? Are, are, are some of these things kind of dividing us more? I think certainly at some level that is the case and uh, and you know there are certain countries that certainly do feel that way but I think the divisions are occurring not only across countries but also within countries mm -hmm. yes yeah and uh, and and it's it's a very complex issue because there are long standing historical reasons for some of this and I think some of the reason is because some of the issues may not have been managed very well or very effectively by the past to be. And, and so, yes, it makes it more difficult. It, uh, it leads people into, uh, you know, an exclusive mindset, I or you, you know, not mm -hmm. an inclusive one. Mm -hmm. So it is more challenging. But on the other hand, I think... Um, it can also really provide the opportunity for people to realize that that at some level we are all one, you know, the unity yep. of human experience. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. but that to do that, I think it would require powerful leadership from uh, individuals at all levels in the society. Yeah, I, yes, I agree with you. So we're we're pretty much the end of the show. This has been a great conversation. I could talk another hour with you. <laughs> so um, I just say for our listeners, um, you know, just kind of we are in a global environment. Okay, um, we probably have more you know, intermixed families and, and yeah. culturally intermixed families that we've ever had in, um, than in the past. Um, what would be kind of your general, you know, word of advice to people on being able to be culturally adaptive? So, I mean, I think the first thing is to have an awareness of the differences, to, uh, you know, to be open-minded, to recognize that difference or diversity can expose you to things that might in fact enrich you as an individual, uh, you know, which otherwise if you were just cocooned in a small environment, then that might actually not be the case. And what I find is that I think there's still a long way to go. Uh, <laughs> among, you know, across all countries. And uh, even just the other day, I was talking to a Japanese cross-cultural consultant, and he was saying Japanese companies need to be much more diverse, mm -hmm. and which they are not at their top management levels. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so that just shows you the powerful constraining influence of local identity. 
Yeah. And yeah. what we need is a global identity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great, great last words. Um, and, um, you know, something to take away and to think about. Um, and thank you so much. And I'd like to just kind of close by telling our, our listeners that we have been talking today with Dr. Rajesh Kumar, and he is a consultant and retired academics specializing in global business. He has an undergraduate degree and master's degree in economics from University of Delhi, uh, MBA from Rutgers University, and PhD in international business from the Stern School of Business at New York University. Dr. Kumar is originally from India, but he's worked in the U.S., France, Finland, Netherlands, New Zealand, Denmark, and the United Kingdom. He's taught at Penn State, Ohio State, Babston, University of Nottingham in the U.K., University of Aarhus in Denmark, among many others. And he specializes in the art of doing business across cultural boundaries. As companies go global, they have to deal with this. And that's what we've been talking about today on on how both individuals and companies can be more culturally diverse and culturally sensitive. And Dr. Kumar has led training programs for global companies and is doing business in India, negotiating cross-culturally and managing strategic partners. Now, if you like to reach out to Dr. Kumar, you can reach out to him on LinkedIn under Rajesh Kumar. And you can go to his website on globalstrategicadvisory.com. And he is also on Facebook under Global Strategic Advisory. So, um, Rajesh, Dr. Kumar, thank you so much once again for being with us today. Thank you, Kimberly, for inviting me. Yeah, and thank you. I think, you know, being it's a very important subject for all of us today as we're in this, you know, globally complicated world we live in. <laughs> So thank you again. And for our listeners, this broadcast has been brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda holds virtual trainings, conferences, market research, legislative white papers focused on digital. Um, they also have an e-learning platform for startups and accelerators in cooperation with Boss Capital out of San Diego. And if you'd like to learn more about Cinda, please go to www.cinda.org. And you can also learn a little bit more about their live conferences. And their next live conference will be held in Florence, Italy in October, and you can get all the information you want on www.cinda.org. And with that, please do not forget to listen to us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. And if you happen to miss us live, then don't worry about it because we're on every major podcast platform across the net. And with that, thank you very much and tune in again next week. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.